Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So this morning our text is a this is one long teaching from Jesus in chapter twelve. You remember he's at the end of chapter eleven, he's at this Pharisee's house um, having a discussion. There's these woes to the teachers, a very, very tough passage, and then he leaves the house, and in chapter twelve he goes outside and thousands, tens of thousands of people have gathered to such an extent that they're crushing one another to get close enough. You know, there's no amplification. He doesn't have a megaphone out preaching. He's, he's teaching. And so these thousands of people are crowding in to, to hear the word from this great teacher. And he turns to his disciples, we see, uh, and, and begins verse 12, chapter, uh, or chapter 12, verse 1. He began to say to his disciples first. So he's teaching his disciples, talking about fear, which we covered last Week to fear God, to acknowledge Christ, to listen to the Holy Spirit. And then, just out of nowhere, a left turn comes in. It's fascinating. Jesus is walking along or somehow teaching these disciples about the fearing of God and acknowledging of Christ before men and hearing the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit teaching you what you will say in front of the authorities. And then someone in the crowd shouts out, Hey, teacher, um, Hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And if you're reading through the narrative, it's just kind of like, what in the world? Where did that come from? Just this total, what in the world is this guy thinking? How, is this turn, how does this turn the dialogue happen? It's, it's, you just, you got to, it doesn't, and unfortunately we don't know the answer to that. Jesus doesn't give us some insight into or Luke doesn't say, this is the reason why I'm going this way, though there is a warning against hypocrisy earlier in chapter 12, and now there's a warning against covetousness. But it doesn't really explain why he lets him go into here. But even more shocking than this guy's weird question out of the middle of nowhere is that Jesus follows the rabbit trail. Instead of just being like, I'm going to pretend like I didn't even hear that because I'm not judge or arbitrator over these. Rabbis would do this sort of thing back in those times. They, they, were, uh, they, were in, they, they were certain laws 
on inheritance and who it went to and how it was divided out. And so rabbis would often be appealed to when there was an inheritance to be divvied out to make sure that it was all done in accordance with the, with the laws that they had in place. And so it was common to ask a rabbi for help, but Jesus is not a, a common rabbi. But amazingly, Jesus follows this rabbit trail. Now, if you show up at one of my Bible studies or have a one-on-one conversation with me and we're going through a passage of Scripture or something, you'll know that I love a rabbit trail. And sometimes it, it kind of annoys people. I, I don't mind at all in a Bible study if, if, and ask some of the people that are there, they get annoyed by it. Somebody asks some weird random question and we might spend the rest of the Bible study following that rabbit trail. And some people think, why don't we get back on the topic? But I want to say to those who think you shouldn't follow rabbit trails, I'm just being biblical because Jesus himself follows rabbit trails, all right? So there's total, that's, that's a terrible example. That's not how you read the Bible. That, that's, that's called ice. That's, that's reading into it. Anyway, what I wanted to see. But I thought, I thought, look at this. Now, from now on, if you're in a Bible study with me and it's a rabbit trail, I'm going to say Luke 12, 14. Jesus followed rabbit trails. We can too. Anyway, he, he follows it. That's, that's a ridiculous point. So, but I... But he does. He does, for whatever reason, um, entertain this guy's question and goes down this road. And he takes it and turns it into a warning. He says, verse 15, he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of of his possessions. Last week was hypocrisy, this week is covetousness. And this man is the epitome of a self-centered person. How much more self-centered can you get than when there are tens of thousands of people trying to hear from this teacher, you want to settle some family dispute over money. I mean, this guy is the epitome of a self-centered person. Will Jesus just settle this dispute between his brother and himself, but Jesus instead launches into a warning. He says, man, which is... Not Jesus being nice. That's like calling somebody Mr. Like if somebody showed up at, at my yard and I say, listen, Mr. That's, that's kind of the language Jesus is using here. He's saying, Mr., I'm not, I'm not here to, to judge over these sorts of issues. It's, uh, but the problem that Jesus isolates from this question is the problem of covetousness. Making one's life all about possessions. All about what you own. And Jesus warns against this. Now, Covetousness is not uh, something we haven't discussed here. If you were here over the summer, which is now quickly approaching a year ago, which is crazy to think about, but we went through the Ten Commandments, right? Does anyone know which commandment is covetousness? Thou shalt not covet. It's the tenth. I'm not going to put. I can't allow that much silence. It's the tenth. The last commandment is thou shalt not covet thy neighbors. Oxen, thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, you should not, thou shalt not covet. So it is the final command put down on stone, thou shalt not covet. So what is coveting? What does it mean to covet? And uh, John Piper uses this definition just in his preaching. He says, coveting is desiring anything other than God in a way that betrays a loss of contentment and satisfaction in him. Coveting is desiring anything other than God in a way that betrays or shows a loss of contentment and satisfaction in Him. Covetousness is a heart divided between two gods. 
So Paul calls covetousness idolatry. And he does in Colossians chapter 3, verse uh, 5, Paul warns against fleeing all of these things and fleeing uh, coveting, which is idolatry. Because it's this competition between gods. It's saying these coveting is taking the, I'm looking to these things, these possessions, these events, these circumstances, these whatever, uh, these things over here to give me contentment instead of finding my contentment in God. It's saying these are the things I want. God is not enough. And so I'm going to covet long after these things. And it is at its essence idolatry. It is putting the things, the, the gifts above the giver. I'm getting ahead of myself. It is putting the, the trinkets of life over the, the treasure that is Christ. So this man who asks this question, he desires to get financial gain so that he can be secure. He's, he's saying, hey, tell my brother, split the money. I mean, I don't know if he's the young, we don't really know, is he the, is he the younger brother? And so he's not in charge of the inheritance. They don't do it like nowadays where you just, all the kids get equal amount. The, the elder uh, brother was the one who was in charge of the family estate. And he was not to just then go hog wild and party, I've got all mom and dad's money. It was, I am now in charge of this land. I'm in charge of this operation. I have a responsibility to steward what I've been given for the sake of the family. And it was kind of perpetuated upon this inheritance. So maybe this is a younger brother. Those guys are always annoying. Uh, maybe it's a younger brother that, that wants Jesus to divide the inheritance and so that he can, he can be set for life. He's looking for some security out of, um, out of what he can get from his brother. He desires wealth, which is a ridiculous question when you think about it. This man is talking to the God of the universe. Everything that was made, Colossians tells us, was made through Christ. Everything was made through Him and for Him. He, Christ is, that without Him was not anything made that was made. Christ is the Creator of, He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And He walks by, and this man, as the Lord of the universe walks by, asks for some dollars. It's, it's incredible. Jesus has sovereign control. He multiplies foods. He raises dead people. He, the, the ground the man is standing on was made by Jesus. The air the man used, because air is actually a liquid, which is mind-blowing. Air it, it bounces through the molecules to the eardrum of Jesus. That air, Jesus himself made. I mean, everything, everything this guy is surrounded by is made by Jesus all the money he thought he could get, if it was gold or whatever, the currency made by Jesus, anything he thought he could buy, be it food or houses or lands, were all things Jesus has made. And not only that, this man raises the dead, works miracles. He is the one who will bring him communion with God. He's going to bring him forgiveness of sin if he would repent and trust him. He's going to bring his reconciliation to him. And instead of asking with all of that reality in front of him, the God of the universe, right here. <laughs> hey, can I have a few dollars to fix my temporal problems? It's a pathetic question to come to Jesus and to ask for some finite temporal sum of money. I hope you know that Jesus is about something far greater than just fixing some temporary issues in life. He's involved in those for sure, 
but they are by no means the big issues to get settled. So picture this with me. You are, you are stranded. It's like being stranded on an island out in the middle of the ocean for months. And you've got a comb, you know, and you, you got some canned food. You beat it against the rock and you, you eat this canned food. But you're, you're running out of supplies, you know, and so you're getting kind of worried. But, you know, you got your comb. I don't know why that matters. But you got your comb and you got some canned food. You got to be presentable to the, I don't know, the dolphins as they swim by. And, and a ship comes on the horizon. And you wave it down, eh, you know, you're screaming, you're, I can't light a fire, you don't have matches, but you're, you're, you're trying to get the ship's attention, and sure enough, they see you, and they, they, they get closer enough so you can yell to the men on the dock, and, or on, the, on the deck of the ship, and you shout out, do you have a can opener? <laughs> That's kind of a silly question, isn't it? I mean, it's a ship, and they shout out, uh, we don't, no, we don't have a can opener, and so you say, well, can you go and get one or send someone back that has a can? I have all this canned food, but I don't have any way to open it. It'd be really nice to have a can opener. It's ludicrous, isn't it? Right? That's a ridiculous story. That's what this man's doing. The, the, the ship of salvation is going by and he's asking for a can opener. He's asking for just something temporal and ridiculous. You don't, you don't care about a can opener when the ship of your rescue comes by. You're like... Throw me a rope. I don't care if you drag me through the ocean home. I, I want out of here. I want rescue. You are crying out just to get a ride. Even if it should be drugged behind a ship, you don't care about can openers. But that's what this man cares about. So we have here a picture of the blindness of the lost. For so many, the question about their own standing with God, their need of rescue is nowhere on their radar. Stranded on an island, lost and dead in sins, and no care whatsoever that that's their problem. They are spending their lives, the lost are spending their lives concerned about can openers. When they need rescue, Jesus walks by and they are asking God to do this temporal thing or to give you this circumstantial relief. And they are clueless, clueless to the desperate state they are in before a holy and righteous God. You would never be so silly as to ask for a can opener unless you were clueless about the direness of your situation. This man's clueless. Yet so many, when they think about God, when they consider the things of their life, they are more concerned with can openers than rescue. Does that make sense, that illustration? Work? More concerned with can openers than rescue. Don't be this guy. I mean, this is not even the point of the parable, but just don't be this guy. Don't be this guy. Consider the issues that really matter. Are you in good standing with the God of the universe? Are you free from sin? Are you, what is your hope in the midst of your failure? Because you aren't free from sin. What's your hope in the midst of your failure to live as God would have you? Consider the things that matter, not can openers. And, and don't be this guy and don't let your loved ones be this person either. We, we are too content, I think, to let those we love pass through life, never considering you're calling out for can openers when you're on a stranded island and you need rescue. There are big issues at stake. And do not wait for it all to be over, as often happens, to then finally think about rescue from the ship instead of can openers. Don't be this guy and don't let those you love be this type of person either all concerned with can openers instead of rescue. i got to give up that. I'm going to say that too much. 
Don't let them ponder over which can opener is best when the boat of salvation is passing by. Consider the things that matter. So Jesus then illustrates this himself with his own parable, and he talks about the parable of the rich fool. We've had a few parables as we've gone along here through Luke, a parable of the soils or the sower, the parable of the good Samaritan, but we're going to get into a lot more parables. And a parable is really just, it's a teaching, it's an illustration, a narrative alongside of para alongside to teach one big idea. It's a story, an illustration, a narrative alongside of to to give one big idea. And so the parable of the rich fool is aptly named that because it's about a rich fool. This man is a farmer and he's had a great year. He's a rich man, but not only is he already rich doing well for himself, he has just an outlandish crop. His field just produces and produces uh, land of the man, rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. It was so outlandishly prosperous that his bins weren't big enough. And he says, what am I going to do with all of this crop? And so he decides, uh, I'm going to tear my barns down and build taller ones so that I can store more crop. Now, there's nothing wrong with having an abundance of crops. There's nothing wrong with prospering. The man is not condemned because he had a big crop. Well, how dare he uh, govern the rains and the winds and the sun and drainage and seed growing? How dare he do all those things? No, God did all those things. God's in charge of the rain, if you didn't know that. God's in charge of the wind. I mean, ask any farmer that's got crop insurance out there. They know that they don't control so many of the things when it comes to farming. It is in God's hands. So there's no problem with him having a good year. It is what he does with the great year that is the problem. But, but honestly, it's not even what he so much does, but the heart behind what he does. Right? So he, is, there, is there anything wrong with having a prosperous year and then finding a way to store it for the best advantage for others, for yourself, for your family, for the community? No, there's nothing wrong with that. But the heart behind this man's desire to store is revealed to us. And the language is all of this, I will, I will, I will, my grain, my goods, my soul. You have, you have ample goods laid up for many years. The rich fool begins to speak to himself. What can he do with all of this wealth to help, wealth to help himself? And then God shows up. says, you fool, fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. This is a polite way of saying you die tonight. And then who gets all these things you've saved up? And the reality is, who's going who's to get what he's prepared? We don't know. It doesn't, doesn't appear to have much family. Or if he does, his poor wife, she doesn't even, I mean, she's not on the radar at all. He's concerned about me, 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 I, I, I. And so, but the reality is, it doesn't matter who it goes to. He doesn't get it. He is not going to get it. It won't be the rich fool who will enjoy all that God has given him. So, why does this make him a fool? Well, honestly, there's, if you think about it, there is something that rings true and right to what he's doing, is there not? If you have a great year, get that money in the bank. Don't, don't just go blow it and just go get rid of it. Or don't burn up the crop. Well, I got too much for my barns. I guess I'll just let it sit out and rot. I mean, you know, it's not that sort of thing. There's a, there is some wisdom to it, but he's, he's making the most of what he has. But what's wrong with that? In one sense, again, I'll say it isn't so much that what he has done is wrong, it is what he hasn't done 
That is wrong. It is the, the, what is underneath it all. It isn't the action. It's what's underneath it. He's been super diligent at supervising his worldly riches, but has totally neglected his richness towards God. He's been super diligent at managing all of his material possessions, uh, uh, just an epitome of a materialist. He has done very well managing all of his stuff, and he has totally neglected his richness toward God. He has forgotten his maker. He's forgotten the Lord of heaven and earth. The, difficulty, uh, the difficult reality regarding covetousness is that it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what you own or what you do with what you own. It has everything to do with how you regard what you own and what you're hoping to achieve by what you do with what you own. The rich fool was going to take all that he had and center it all around himself and his own pleasure and his own security. And he believed his greatest joy was to be found in his possessions. Once he's got these big, barn full, big barns full, eat, drink, be merry. I am set. I am secure. And his joy was in these temporal goods. And this is so easy and addictive to fall into in our culture today. We are the rich. There's no way around it. We are, we are the rich. I mean, you, you look globally at the rate of income for so many families, and we are absolutely beyond comprehension rich with clothes to pick from in our closets. This isn't the only blazer I have. I bought this one just for fun. You know, I mean, I've got, and I've got more in the closet at home and jeans and shoes and then food, you know, and you, you, throwing away food. I mean, how many times you get done with a family meal and we throw away food? It's bonkers. That, I mean, we are so crazy rich. We have running water in our houses. If we get a little too chilled, we bump up the thermostat and we have all this natural gas and electricity. I mean, we're, we're just, I, I could go on and on. I don't have time for it. We are, we are the rich. We are the rich. So it's so easy to fall in line with because we, we have it. To fall in line with finding our joy in the gifts that God does give. He's sovereign over all things. You didn't choose to be born in America at this millennia and this century. God is charge of all of these things. But it's easy to find our joy in the gifts of God, but not in the God who gives. It's so easy to find our joy in the gifts God gives and not in the God who gives them. We are quick to find our delight in the gifts instead of the giver. And it was not in the having of these riches that was his folly. It was the absence of his richness toward God. So he put these questions to us. Are we rich toward God? Are you rich toward God? Not are you rich in the world, but are you rich toward God? Meaning, is what you value most God or something else? So answer this, if you lost your job, you lost your bank account, you lost your house, your vehicle, your health, your relationships, you lost everything, would you sit down on the ground and call yourself rich because of what you had in Christ? That's richness in God that says like Job, naked I came into the world, naked will I depart, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Job says. Richness toward God. Can you answer that way? Can you say that the wealth that you have, this is the wealth that God is calling us to, this sort of richness, that the loving and enjoying of God and knowing of Him and all that He provides for you, that you are rich in God, that we are rich in God. So 
That's what we're shooting for. 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Therefore, do not lay up treasures for yourself in this life, but be rich toward God. So then, how do we fight covetousness? Is it just, we should all go out and just liquidate everything. We're going to fight covetousness by not owning anything. Well, sorry, that's not any way out of it. I mean, because as soon as you get rid of 10,000 things that you love, what happens? You find just another, you bring something else into love in its place. So it isn't just about getting rid of it. It's not just getting rid of your possessions. Though I will say this briefly, you might consider how much you have and how much trust and how much security and how much joy you find in the things that you do have. We do love our stuff. We do love our stuff. And there is just a flat-out warning here. Um, you know, if, if, you want, if you go around town, you can tell which generation the houses were built in by one very clear thing, the size of the closet. And if you go to a house that was built 50, 60 years ago, it's got like a coat closet. And that's where all your stuff goes. And then you go to a house that's built a little sooner, it's got a bigger closet. You go to a house that's built today, it's got a closet about this big as a sanctuary. That, and, and then they got a few garages, and then they rent a, a mini storage. They rent two mini storages out in the highway because all the stuff we have. I'm not blanket condemning anybody, but you might want to check your hearts. Is our joy, our peace, our security in our stuff? Well, Jesus says, he's warning, beware of covetousness, treasuring these things, laying up treasure for yourself in this life and is not rich toward God. So we could just throw that stuff out, but that's not really the answer. The, the idea is replacing it with right richness. The, the biggest, most important thing is not just getting rid of all these riches. You might want to consider your heart there. But the big idea is, are you rich toward God? When you are coveting, you are medicating yourself with counterfeit joy. You are saying, these things give me joy, as opposed to the, the true giver of joy, which is God himself. You are, as Romans 1 says, exchanging the truth of God for a lie, and worshiping the creation rather than the creator. That's what you are doing. So the answer is not just do away with the gifts that are brought into our lives. It might be something we should think about. But the point is not what you get rid of, but what you add. You will worship something. We cannot win by only removing. We must replace it with right worship. Delighting not in the gifts, but in the giver. So we fight covetousness by having a true value, a true, a true, vision, a true view of the great value that there is in knowing God and being in right standing with Him. We kill the desire for lesser joys. We kill the desire for lesser joys by zeroing in on the true joy that there is in knowing Christ. To have your bank account so full with the richness of God that when gifts come in, you rejoice. Hey, thank, thankful to God for the blessings that He's given. I've got this giant bank of richness and who I am in Christ and what I have in God. Gifts come in great. And then when the gifts aren't there, when life doesn't go well, when things do go upside down, what do you say? I am rich in God. I am rich in God. I am rich in God. This is the good news of the gospel. The gospel brings us salvation, peace, comfort, yes, but really what salvation brings us is God himself. It's God himself. When, when we have the good news is that those who trust in Christ don't just get things, gifts, byproducts. We get reconciliation. We get adopted into his family. We get God himself. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. 
Jesus, or Paul says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything he could gain, every gain he had, every good thing, every gift. There, I count everything as loss, verse 8, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus more like my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Paul is willing to trade everything, good and bad, and call it rubbish in comparison to being rich in God. The exhortation from, exhortation from Luke 12 today is to flee covetousness by focusing in on and rejoicing on being rich in God. Do you spend your days waiting for the ship to show up and bring you a better can opener? <laughs> or will you rejoice in the deliverance that the ship is bringing? Christ brings true deliverance by giving himself. We all, lost and dead and sins, we need a rescue. God's wrath is against sinners, and it is a weight so heavy you cannot press up off of the ground from the wrath that is coming upon sinners. What happens? Jesus Christ, according to the Trinitarian plan of God in eternity past, Jesus Christ adds to himself humanity, is born a man, lives the righteous life we should have lived, and shoulders the wrath that his people deserve. The wrath that you deserve as a sinner is laid upon Christ. And he takes it all the way into the tomb and he resurrects from the grave three days later so that everyone, everyone sitting here listening to me this morning, every one of you, repenting of your sins, admitting you are a sinner and trusting in Christ can be forgiven and be given real treasure, reconciliation to God. You can become his very child. That's richness. So Jesus is saying in this passage, concerned about all these temporal things, you fool, working and working and working for temporal things. Be rich toward God. Have, make God your treasure. If you desire to increase your capital anywhere, increase it in this reality. Make this truth, what we get in God through the gospel, getting God through the gospel. Make this truth so large in your life that no temporal joy holds a candle to it. You're glad to have the temporal joys. You rejoice in them. But no temporal joy holds a candle to it and no temporal sadness can diminish it. Let's pray. Father, help us now this morning as we go to communion that, God, we would realize the treasure that you are, that you have given salvation that, God, you have taken a sinful people lost and in rebellion against you and through the work of your Son have brought reconciliation, salvation, that everyone who repents and trusts in your Son would know you and be able to call you Father. God, may that be our treasure in this place this morning and may we build and grow and invest in that richness, God, Help us to do so. In Christ's name, amen.